This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. This is episode 143, part one, folks, part one. I hope everyone is doing great. I had to take yesterday off because a property popped up on our radar out in the middle of West Virginia, folks. It's on about seven acres, partially wooded at the base of a mountain. The rest of the land is cleared, several outbuildings, including a barn, uh, stables for horses, fenced-in areas for goats. It's fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. It's got a small house on it, a couple thousand square feet. That could always be updated later, but it's the outbuildings, and it's unrestricted land meaning you could do whatever the hell you want on it and the price is phenomenal so we had to do some research on that obviously the biggest thing we're dealing with (laughs) because i still am gonna have to live one foot in the matrix uh and so is my wife because she works remotely is the internet so in a lot of these really rural areas you know you're not wired up to the internet so you have to look at satellite internet and satellite internet is not great now for my wife's work she could get away with it uh but for me to continue producing the podcast and be able to do the live streaming and some of the high-end documentary stuff we want to work on i'm going to need internet so that's kind of the balance between living out in the middle of nowhere around no one and then still being able to work remotely now one of the options we're looking at is the ability to have an office or something in a nearby town, you know, or small small city. I mean, they're not really cities out there where we could go to an office and work on our stuff. But then that's added cost. It's not a retail location. We don't have people coming in and out. So it's added cost just to be able to have a space for internet. So I'm looking into satellite internet options. If you guys know anything about satellite internet, I researched it years ago and just started again yesterday. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be too much of an issue with the speed as far as being able to uh, upload even live stream videos once we start doing stuff on the website and on YouTube. doesn't seem to be an issue, but it's the monthly cap on the data that seems to be an issue. So I've got to call the satellite company back again this afternoon and see what the additional cost would be, which is fine. You just want to know ahead of time. 
but the price on the property is phenomenal. And to be honest, if you had someone who wanted to house a couple of uh, horses in the barn area uh, that's all fenced in, you could bring in uh, about four or $500 a month on that. And then this place happens to be situated within an hour of several hiking mountain tourist attractions. So it looks like Airbnbs in that area Low end go for 150 a night. High end in uh, hiking season go for about 300 a night. So even if you were only making 150 a night on the weekends, an extra 1200 a month. So 1200 plus the uh, let's say it's about 500. So it'd be 1700, and that more than covers the mortgage if you're going to get a mortgage on this property. And so uh, you could start to monetize that land. And there's a barn with a loft in it that's pretty nice and you could already turn that into uh, an airbnb setup and again you could do anything on that land so you could have a big bonfire pit do some really cool stuff there which is my goal eventually is to monetize the land and be able to uh, have people over there when you want to build the mini farm have goats make it like a little airbnb type attraction um, so we had to stop yesterday to look into that and uh, hopefully we'll be able to get something like this done soon because i want to turn that into part of the show as we start to build out the homestead it'll become part of the the video version of this show and then uh, ultimately over the next few years we want to get the rv and then be able to take willie g on a six month to one year trip around the united states and then we're going to do a six month to one year trip around europe that'll be the beginning of his homeschool and then film that whole journey uh introduce him to all different types of people around the uh, country hunters and butchers and everything it's going to be fantastic and then maybe be able to build that into some sort of a homeschool curriculum so we're trying to put all that together actually a couple of people we met through the midwifery service that we use for the home birth they are like a couple of hippies the husband looks like shaggy from scooby-doo and the wife is uh looks like she's out of the movie willow and they actually have a few acres out in west virginia and they have an old school bus that they turned into an rv they have six dogs and their little baby he's about eight months now i think and they travel all around the country as nomads and they've actually built built up a business off their Instagram account. So they sell all kinds of hippie clothing and everything else. And then they get sponsorships off the Instagram account. And so they travel around the country. Interesting, uh, interesting couple, but they're free, uh, living in nature, traveling all over the place. And so we're trying to uh, put something like that together. That ultimately what we'd like to be able to do. So travel and then go back to the homestead. So we'll keep you posted as uh, as that unfolds, ladies and gentlemen. But we're going to go for a hike this afternoon. That would be this Saturday afternoon. I'm recording in the morning here, Saturday. And we're going to take Willie G out on a hike. So that's going to be a lot of fun, folks. Connect to nature. Leave the cell phones at home. All right. Today, we're going to get back to this Ted Kaczynski sort of research expose that we are doing here at the Dustin Gold Standard. I don't know. Eventually, I might build out some sort of documentary on this. I have uh, Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine Podcast on Fridays, and Wide Awake Jim coming on together soon. We're going to be doing some wargaming and strategy over a possible documentary aimed at young kids to wake up to the dangers 
of technocracy. I'm also eyeing doing a documentary on Peter Thiel, who I think is one of the most dangerous technocratic transhumanist government oligarchs alive today. I've been doing more research into Thiel over the last couple of days, and I found so much stuff, folks. I mean, we've covered him a lot here, but it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, all the different companies and the projects he's involved with. I even was successful in opening up my father's eyes yesterday, the Fox News conservative, to Peter Thiel and the dangers of uh, of Peter Thiel and his connections. My father was pretty blown away by all the research that I sent to him last night. So we're looking at uh, maybe working on some documentaries over the next year. I've got to find uh, some sort of a sugar daddy who might be interested in funding some of these because they involve a lot of work and a lot of time. Even in the beginning, if we use a lot of existing footage, we still have to write them, do the research. I can do all the editing. I work in Adobe Premiere and the Adobe suite of products. I've been doing video editing for 17 years. Really, honestly, I learned how uh, 35 years ago, my mother used to run a cable access department inside of a small cable company that was eventually bought by Comcast. So I grew up sitting there on an old VHS to VHS editing deck uh, making movies when I was a kid. And then um, eventually when I was in my 20s, I got back into video editing. So I've been doing that for many years. Uh, I'd like to tackle these projects. I think I could make some pretty damn good documentaries and open people's eyes to this stuff. But it all costs money. It all takes a lot of time. And if I'm working on that, I can't take side projects in my creative consulting business. And so I'd have to make it up on the other end somehow, ladies and gentlemen. So we'll work that out. We'll war game some of this with Maria Albanese and Wide Awake Jim. Also, tomorrow we're going to be doing an interview with Dana from the pain.tv slash gold community. He wants to come on and fill in some of the blanks uh, that, that Dan Golvach, who I had on as a guest, and Mark, who's a member of pain.tv slash gold, they came on, they talked about the Bible, uh, Revelation, End Times, Antichrist. So we're going to have Dana on tomorrow, Sunday, to fill in some of the blanks as he's been studying theology for over 40 years. It's something I'm interested in, working this stuff in and out in between episodes so we'll be doing that and then wide awake jim said he's planning his next uh business trip that he's got to go on for his oil and gas royalties business and so he's going to then schedule to come on three days in a row while he's on the road and continue reviewing the research he's done into the bank for international settlements and all the books he's been reading including earth brokers where he sent over some really amazing information i'm not going to get into that because i want to leave it to uh to him to actually discuss when he is uh here ladies and gentlemen all right a couple quick things uh before we pop back into the wikipedia review and wrap that up of ted kaczynski and then get into this atlantic article one of the things that came up uh in our research here during the last show episode 142 we saw in this washington post piece if you remember we reviewed the four original articles that came out in 1995 around the time that kaczynski supposedly mailed the 35,000 word uh, paper industrial society its future to the washington post and we found four articles 
published around that time where the Washington Post and the York New York Times were working together along with the FBI on whether or not to publish the manifesto. Now, I just want to bring this up. Um, so we know, because I don't think I stressed this enough during the last show, the New York Times and the Washington Post were huge back in 1995. They were coordinating with the FBI, with the government, uh, when to strategically release the manifesto, right? And using it to supposedly help catch Ted Kaczynski. Well, if the media, and it's supposed to be independent, right, is coordinating with the government on this, how do you know that everything you're reading isn't coordinated with the government? I mean, seriously, it's an honest question. And you have to say to yourself, when you have folks that sit around and watch TV all day and they get their information from, say, Fox News, from Tucker Carlson, people do know that the TV networks are licensed by the government. The government could pull their licenses. All right. So how much information do you truly believe uh, that goes on TV that's allowed to be on TV is going to hurt the state when the state licenses the networks to actually be on TV. They could pull their license if they're really going to hurt the state. I, I mean, seriously, folks, think about it. It's common sense. And nothing gets on TV unless it clears the producers who then answer to the heads of the network, who then answer to the uh, people above them, right? The shareholders, the board of directors, whatever it may be. They don't just turn on a camera. Tucker Carlson comes on and says whatever he wants. Everything is pre-written, submitted, and, um, and vetted, all right? And it's approved. Well, I used to be in and out of the Fox News building quite a bit back between 2009 and 2013. I had the comedy production business and we had all of those political impersonators and my barack obama at the time was on mike huckabee show a lot and huckabee was on saturdays on fox news so we used to be in new york city almost every other weekend and i would get to sit in the control room and i saw how things were produced and i saw the floor producer talking to the control room producer talking to the main producer via satellite and everything that huckabee said was approved it was all rehearsed before they turned the camera on we used to work with john stossel as well same thing and if they're recording, and it's not live, everything is pre-taped, uh, sometimes an hour before, but nothing is actually live. It's pre-taped, and they can actually speak right into, let's say, John Stossel's ear. And they'll be telling him to cut off a guest. Cut him off, cut him off, cut him off. Because they don't want to go back and edit. They shoot what's called live-to-tape, which is really what I do here. So I'm recording live, producing it live. You see the graphics change on the screen. I'm doing that live. It's recording live-to-tape. I mean, in this case, it's recording to the computer. And then... I don't have to really edit anything except maybe I change audio levels. If I make a major mistake, I'll edit it out. But for the most part, they don't want to edit. So they go live to tape. And so they want Stossel or Huckabee or Tucker or whoever it may be to answer to the producer. That's why they're just talking heads. They're taking directions from the producer and they're reading a teleprompter. All right. And that's how it works even for news. So the news is controlled uh, by the government through the license the government grants them to be on television to own a channel. And people think that the news is going to give them information that's going to hurt the government. No, folks, it's all controlled. That's without even getting into um, 
GEC, the Global Engagement Center, which Maria Albanese has talked about. Uh, before we even get into the Smith-Munt Act and repeal of such, government propaganda, CIA propaganda, before we even get into that, the news networks are licensed by the government. So you're not going to see anything on TV that's truly going to hurt the government. That would not be allowed to happen, ladies and gentlemen. We are not licensed by the government folks i'll be right back we're going to jump right back into this ted kaczynski stuff i want to show you a couple of things real fast that we picked up uh after we did the last show episode 142 i'll be right back this is dust and gold with the dust and gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dust and gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash Gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Pain.tv slash gold. Alright, folks. One other thing quick. Because I had some people reaching out to me on social media about Wide Awake Jim's company that does the oil and gas royalties investments. If you're interested, just email me, Dustin Gold, at me at DustinGoldShow.com, and I'll give you Jim's cell phone number and his business email. The reason why he doesn't put out his full name on this show, because it's public. On, on pain.tv slash gold and the private stuff, he'll do it. But he just doesn't want to get bombarded with a bunch of sales calls all at one time. So if you email me, me at DustinGoldShow.com, I'll give you his business email and phone number. He said I could do that, and then he can just send you over information on the uh, investments that he's currently working on. I I talked to him yesterday about the upcoming shows, and I asked him because I said people are reaching out, and he said they've got a new website they're going to be launching that has a private login so you can get behind sort of the front page of the site that has a bunch of information on the investments that they're doing. He doesn't like to publish it because he doesn't want competitors seeing exactly what he's uh he's doing there with his business partner so um just email me me at dustingoldshow.com and i'll get you that information if you're interested because i know some people wanted some more information on that they're also working on a new uh presentation on the new uh property that they're in the process of securing because uh the last one i i got a hold of the last investment documents because my uh wife and some of my family members and stuff were interested in investing. And unfortunately, well, fortunately for Jim, unfortunately for some of the people I know, that one sold out. So him and his partner now in the process of putting another deal together. And uh, he'll have that information soon. All right, let me show you this real quick. Um, and then the reason why I mentioned that is because Jim has spent a lot of his time here. He's put in so much time reading through over 3,000 pages and documents, and he's been on the show nine times. So I like to help out people that are guests if um, they're trying to promote their business as well. I have no problem uh, doing that because they've dedicated a lot of time to this show, so I can return the favor. All right, um, so this is the Washington Post 
dot com article from june 30th 1995 which was paper a sales industrial technological system so remember this is a year before they uh, catch kaczynski but it was interesting because this is the original print of the article and it had said in here in general the manifesto appears to favor a return to a state of human society similar to that of the noble savage envisioned by 18th century social uh theoreticians and it said quote we attribute the social and psychological problems of modern society end quote the document says quote to the fact that and then in brackets modern comma technocratic end bracket society requires people to live under conditions radically different from those under which the human race evolved and to believe in ways that conflict with the patterns of behavior that the human race developed end quote well i brought up when we were reviewing this in episode 142 and i had searched this uh over a break that in industrial society's future i remember specifically that they he did not use kaczynski did not use the term technocratic or technocracy so someone in 1995 who wrote this for the washington post and unfortunately this is not credited to a writer this was just credited to the washington post staff okay went and obviously knew the term technocratic or technocracy not not that you wouldn't know this in 95 but someone obviously did research and they inserted this themselves and i'm just going to show you because i want to prove it to you this is the original text here of uh industrial society its future and that quote comes from paragraph 46 and it says we attribute the social and psychological problems of modern society to the fact that society requires people to live under conditions radically different from those under which the human race evolved and to behave in ways that conflict with the patterns of behavior that the human race developed while living under the earlier conditions nowhere in here i'll show you one more time they stuck in to the fact that and they put in modern technocratic society. Well, and here it says um, to be in uh, ways of look. Okay, so in here, when you're looking to the fact that society requires, this is from the original, to the fact that society requires people to live under conditions. Well, the Washington Post took it upon themselves to put into the fact that modern technocratic society. Now, not, not that this is like some huge revelation, but I find it to be interesting that the Washington Post, at the time that they're deciding whether or not to publish the paper, end up sticking in modern technocratic society. Who did that? Why did they do that? Who was studying technocracy at the time it really wasn't on people's radar in 1995 i i just find that to be really interesting i'm going to poke around uh more in this i'm going to see if there's actually an author somewhere that is credited with writing this i want to know why someone went and stuck this in when in kaczynski's paper he never mentions technocratic or technocracy he calls it the industrial technological system as we pointed out all right let's return back to this wikipedia stuff as you know i'm just laying out the official narrative here we went through the fbi official narrative we've gone through the washington post articles and now we're finishing up on wikipedia as i said um, as far as official narrative goes all this stuff on wikipedia checks out now we're going to go to this atlantic article and then that's going to lead us into research 
research into Henry Murray, who was the professor at Harvard that tampered with Kaczynski's brain. And I want to show you the connections that Henry Murray had to the CIA and the precursor, the OSS, and then show you this 565-page document developed by Henry Murray. He was actually in charge of it. I've been reading from it over the last couple of days. It's fascinating because it's called a assessment of men, if you want to take a look at it. And Murray was put in charge of assessing possible recruits to OSS, intelligence officers. And so they developed this testing that they were running out of the CIA's farm, and then it spread to different bases, base camps around the world. And they still utilize these techniques today, now in the corporate world, to help select managers. But they put people under high-stress tests and teach them how to lie, teach them how to have cover stories. I mean, mind-blowing stuff. And then this guy... Henry Murray was also overseeing Timothy Leary's LSD experiments at Harvard University. And we know that Timothy Leary supposedly didn't know this, but he was getting LSD from Sidney Gottlieb, who was running MKUltra. And so I'm tying those pieces together, and I'm also able to show that at the same time that the uh, Har- that Harvard was running these experiments, these brain control, mind control experiments under Henry Murray, Harvard was getting secret money from CIA funneled through what they called conduit uh, organizations and conduit companies. These were shell companies being set up by the CIA and or they were funneling money through places like the Ford Foundation in the Harvard. This all came out in the 1970s. Well, we know at the same time, based on our our uh, past shows on MKUltra, that Sidney Gottlieb, the chief chemist for the CIA running MKUltra, under the direction of Alan Dulles, who was the head of the CIA, was actually allowed to set up bogus organizations and funnel money into institutions, universities, and prisons to run MKUltra mind control experiments. So I'm kind of connecting all this together. I don't see anyone who's actually put all the pieces together, but they're all out there. You just have to be able to connect them, and I think we have such a great body of research now here uh, going in 143 episodes of Dustin Goldstander, we're actually able to start to connect some dots that other people have missed. All right, folks, let's talk about uh, the arrest. And it says here at Wikipedia, the FBI agents arrested an unkempt Kaczynski at his cabin on April 3rd, 1996. A search revealed a cache of bomb components, 40,000 handwritten journal pages that included bomb-making experiments, descriptions of the Unabomber crimes, and one live bomb. They also found what appeared to be the original type manuscript of Industrial Society and its future. By this point, the Unabomber had been the target of the most expensive investigation in FBI history at the time. A 2000 report by the United States Commission on the Advancement of Federal Law Enforcement stated that the task force had spent over $50 million throughout the course of the investigation. $50 million. Back in 19, uh, it was 19, mid-1970s to mid-1990s. After his capture... 
Theories emerged Kaczynski as the Zodiac Killer, who murdered five people in Northern California from 1968 to 1969. Among the links that raised suspicion was that Kaczynski lived in the San Francisco Bay Area from 1967 to 1969, the same period that most of the Zodiac's confirmed killings occurred in California. That both individuals were highly intelligent with an interest in bombs and codes, and that both wrote letters to newspapers demanding the publication of their works with the threat of continued violence in the demand, if the demand was not met. Yet Kaczynski's whereabouts could not be verified for all of the killings. Since the gun and knife murders committed by the Zodiac killer differed from Kaczynski's bombings, authorities did not pursue him as a suspect. Robert Graysmith, author of the 1986 book Zodiac, said the similarities are fascinating, but purely coincidental. The early hunt for the Unabomber portrayed a perpetrator far different from the eventual suspect. Kaczynski consistently uses we and our throughout industrial society in its future. And you guys know this. He also credits FC, which is his organization, whether there were more people or just him, no one really knows, called Freedom Club FC, which I'd love to make Freedom Club t-shirts one day. Unfortunately, we don't want to tie ourselves to all these bombings, folks. Goes on to say, at one point in 1993, investigators sought an individual whose first name was Nathan because the name was imprinted on the envelope of a letter sent to the media. When authorities presented the case to the public, they denied that there was ever anyone other than Kaczynski involved in the crimes. And then when we get back, folks, we're going to get into the guilty plea. Now, again, we're just laying the foundation of the official narrative. So as we dig deeper, we'll start to find inconsistencies or discrepancies in the story. I'm not 100% sure where we're going to go with this. I'm just doing this real-time investigative piece on the information that's out there. It just fascinates me because I want to... I want to understand the mind of the man behind the paper. Now, the paper, as we said, Industrial Society in its future, really did predict where we are today. It really did try to warn humans of the dangers of technocracy, the dangers of transhumanism. He talks about genetic modification, and he really talks about the technocratic system destroying nature and destroying humanity. Um, but then you have all of these bombings, these murders. I mean, he murdered three, injured over 20, but these bombings attached to it. And so what I'm trying to figure out here, folks, I mean, the honest question is, did Kaczynski's uh, bombings and who he was and the fact that this paper is attached to what they would call a crazy person, did it tarnish the message of industrial society its future did kaczynski play a part whether intentionally or not in preventing a revolution against the technocratic system i find it interesting that at the same time that this occurred in 95 the manifesto being sent to the new york times and the washington post what was also going on is there's a series of books that were being published this book in 1995 by anthony sutton that we're going to review here, exposing the Federal Reserve banking system and the central banks. This book that Jim is reading 
called Earth Brokers, published in 1994, that exposed the entire scam around the environmental uh, fake green grift climate change schemes, scams, and hustles. Uh, all these books were starting to come to light, and then boom, this paper is published trying to tear down the industrial technological system, technocracy, and expose it all. And just as people might be getting interested in the idea of returning to wild nature, doom, it's attached to a murderous bomber. How convenient is that, folks? How convenient is that? We may never get the answers, right? Because we can only go through what is available to us. But I find it to be fascinating that all of a sudden this work is published that's right in line with all these other books coming out around the same time, really exposing the whole system, the whole play, the whole scheme, the whole scam. And then it's attached to what looks like a homeless guy who has all of these bombings and murders and uh and crimes attached to him i don't know we'll figure it out we'll go as far as we possibly can with this ladies and gentlemen i've gone as far as i can right now i'll be back right after this short commercial break my name is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to episode 143, part two, folks, part two. As I told you, I'm trying to get in the habit of tagging these episodes to make it easier for you to navigate the hell which is apple podcast now that's refusing to play episodes in order folks we are working on that we'll let you know when we have a solution all right let's get into the guilty plea over here at wikipedia It says a federal grand jury indicted Kaczynski in June 1996 on 10 counts of illegally transporting, mailing, and using bombs. All right, so he was arrested April 1996. Two months later, June 96, grand jury indicts him on 10 counts of illegally transporting, mailing, and using bombs. Kaczynski's lawyers headed by Montana Federal Public Defenders Michael Donahue and Judy Clark, attempted to enter an insanity defense to avoid the death penalty, but Kaczynski rejected this strategy. On June 8th, 1998, he asked to dismiss his lawyers and hire Tony Sarah as his counsel. Sarah had agreed not to use an insanity defense and instead promised to base a defense on Kaczynski's anti-technology views. After this request was unsuccessful, Kaczynski tried to kill himself on January 9th, so the day after. 
Sally Johnson, the psychiatrist who examined Kaczynski, concluded that he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. Forensic psychiatrist Park Dietz said Kaczynski was not psychotic, but had a schizoid or schizotypal personality disorder. In his 2010 book, Technological Slavery, Kaczynski said that two prison psychologists who visited him frequently for four years told him they saw no indication that he suffered from paranoid schizophrenia. And the diagnosis was ridiculous and a political diagnosis. Some contemporary authors suggested that multiple people, most notably Kaczynski's brother and mother, purposefully spread the uh, image of Kaczynski as mentally ill with the aim to save him from execution. Now, I would just ask you this. Uh, Let's look at Kaczynski in two parts. I think you have to do this, folks, because I've been thinking about this, where I want to go with this and what the point of all this is, is separate the message from the messenger. So if you take the message, industrial society in its future, and and we'll eventually review uh, his uh, second paper, Technological Slavery. It was written in conjunction with uh, someone else who he was writing to from prison. And so uh, that one I'm going to look at a little bit differently because it could be tainted. We don't know. Uh, Honestly, what went on in prison, if it changes perspectives. But we'll take a look at that. But my question is, if we separate the message from the messenger, so read the, the, the industrial society's future short of the part where he says we had to kill people to get the message out. Does the message sound crazy? Does it sound like the message of a paranoid schizophrenic? Well, if he is one, then I am one. And then you were one. If you listen to this show and you recognize that the folks at Bank for International Settlements all the way down to World Economic Forum and then our own government and then all their puppets like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel, and the rest of them are trying to build a technological prison around us, they tell you they're doing that. They tell you they're doing that. They tell you that they are genetically modifying folks. I mean, that's not a secret. It's not a secret. I mean, there's billions of dollars in private investment capital going into this stuff. The quest for immortality, uploading their brain to the cloud, uh, injecting young blood into their bodies. I mean, this is all real stuff. So are we a, are we paranoid schizophrenics because we're just connecting the dots and talking about what these folks are actually doing? I mean, World Economic Forum is dedicated to talking about building the technocracy, merging the digital, the physical, and the biological worlds, bringing to fruition the fourth industrial revolution. So Kaczynski's paper is not a paper coming from the mind of a paranoid schizophrenic. Now, That's why I say separate the message from the messenger. Now, if Kaczynski did, and the official narrative says he does, or said he did send all these bombs and uh, kill and maim people, all right, that's one thing. But the paper is another thing. And sometimes I wonder, was he really the person who wrote the paper? Now, interesting thing. So far, and I've researched this throughout the years, maybe you guys can help me. Because I, I just, I've got to spend four or five hours at one shot doing this. Is there a video out there of words actually coming out of Ted Kaczynski's mouth? 
Does it exist? I haven't found it so far. I asked Marie Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays, to look for me as well. And she's going to do that. Because I, I have not found one. Now, in I believe it was 1999, Kaczynski supposedly does this interview with a reporter. And I've watched this little mini documentary on YouTube. Maybe we'll review it here. Uh, or you can go watch it. He supposedly does an interview with a reporter. It's recorded on audio, but I have not found video coming out of his mouth. I find it to be strange because, again, this case was as big as the O.J. Simpson case back when I was in high school. Uh, Everyone was following this. I I said to you, there was no Internet then. So if something was on TV news and there was only a few stations and then written in the Washington Post or the New York Times, everyone heard about it. You know, everyone who paid attention to any sort of news heard about this. It was everywhere. Uh, Every time there was a bombing over the 20-year period from the mid-70s to the mid-90s, it was on TV. You know, is this the work of the Unabomber? It was like uh, pre-9-11. So after 9-11, everything was about Muslims. Before that, it was all about Kaczynski and different serial murderers. So let me know if, if you see that, folks. But again, separate the message from the messenger when you think about this, because I'm not 100% positive that the official narrative is true. I mean, the government's involved. How true could it actually be? All right, let's continue. It says, on January 21st, 1998, Kaczynski was declared competent to stand trial by federal prison psychiatrist Johnson, quote, despite the psychiatric diagnosis, end quote. As he was fit to stand trial, prosecutors sought the death penalty, but Kaczynski avoided that by pleading guilty to all charges on January 22, 1998, and accepting life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. He later tried to withdraw this plea, arguing it was involuntary, as he had been coerced to plead guilty by the judge. Judge Garland Ellis Burrell Jr. denied his request, and the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit upheld that decision. In 2006, Burrell ordered that items from Kaczynski's cabin be sold at a, quote, reasonably advertised Internet auction, end quote. Items considered to be the bomb-making materials such as diagrams and recipes for bombs were excluded. The net proceeds went towards the $15 million in restitution Burl had awarded Kaczynski's victims. Kaczynski's correspondence and other personal papers were also auctioned. Burl ordered the removal before sale of references in those documents to Kaczynski's victims. Kaczynski unsuccessfully challenged those redactions as a violation of his freedom of speech. The auction ran for two weeks in 2011 and raised over $232,000. Well, Kaczynski could have turned those into NFTs, folks, non-fungible tokens today, and they probably would have made a lot more. Uh, Imagine being the person who uh, ended up on the FBI watch list after buying like Ted Kaczynski's underwear. Like, I want his underwear. Okay, put this guy on the list. No, folks, I I was actually thinking a couple of years ago when I first met uh, Mike Moore from the Thomas Paine podcast, he had in the works a possible prison interview with Paul Manafort, one of Trump's guys, and it was brought up 
conversation between Mike and Maria Albanese that I could probably go handle something like that for True Pundit, which was Mike's outfit at the time. And uh, I started doing research into uh, Kaczynski, whether or not I could try to get an interview with him. And I saw that he had not uh, really granted any interviews except for this supposed 1999 interview. And at the same time, uh, he, he was actually in Colorado Supermax at the time. I think they just moved him recently into some prison for real sick folks. And I said to Maria, you know what? If I write the guy a letter and I start requesting um, to interview him, God, what the hell is going to happen? Because uh, at the time, I wasn't partnered up with a news outfit, and I didn't want to bring any heat on <laughs> Mike. All of a sudden, this Dustin Goldcat starts writing Ted Kaczynski. Hi, I really liked your paper. Uh, you pointed out all the bad things about the technocratic system. Can I come and see you? I mean, the FBI would come knocking at my door in about two seconds. But I think it would be a fascinating interview. I'd love to know Kaczynski's take on everything that's going on now, especially post-COVID land, the high school theater production. I'd like to talk to him about Peter Thiel, lay out some of the companies that Peter Thiel, Elon Musk, others are involved with, and ask him, uh, hey, could uh, could you have predicted this? Uh, show him what's going on with CRISPR and gene editing. I don't know how much information he has access to when it comes to the outside world. I don't know if he's allowed on the internet, if he could read magazines and newspapers. Uh, I don't know what letters actually make it to him because every letter you send to a prison is open and read by the prison guards before it actually makes it to the prisoner so who really knows what he has access to but it, it god it would be a fascinating fascinating interview i think i I'd do that make a documentary and retire folks um so i don't know i'm contemplating doing it but at the same time now i've got the wife and the kid do i really want my name going into some database it probably already is just for covering this stuff on the podcast ladies and gentlemen all right listen i'll be right back we're going to wrap up this wikipedia piece in the next segment and then move on to this very important atlantic article ladies and gentlemen my name is dust gold with the dust gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, let's get into the incarceration. And I did look it up, folks. Kaczynski was moved in 2021. I, I think it mentions it here on Wikipedia. If not, I pulled up an article for you. Uh, he's in North Carolina, not in Colorado now. Supposedly, uh, he's still there. So this is under the section incarceration. It says Kaczynski is serving eight life sentences without the possibility of parole at ADX Florence, a supermax prison in Florence, Colorado. Early in his imprisonment, Kaczynski befriended Ramsey Youssef and Timothy McVeigh, the perpetrators of the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, respectively. 
The trio discussed religion and politics and formed a friendship which lasted until McVeigh's execution in 2001. In October 2005, Kaczynski offered to donate two rare books to the Melville J. Hersevitz Library of African Studies at Northwestern University's campus in Evanston, Illinois, the location of his first two attacks. The library rejected the offer on the grounds that it already had copies of the works. The uh, Labadee Collection, part of the University of Michigan's Special Collections Library, houses Kaczynski's correspondence with over 400 people since his arrest, including replies, legal documents, publications, and clippings. His writings are among the most popular selections in the University of Michigan's special collections. The identity of most correspondents will remain sealed until 2049. In 2012, Kaczynski responded to the Harvard Alumni Association's directory inquiry for the 50th reunion of the class of 1962. He listed his occupation as prisoner and his eight life sentences as awards. <laughs> Well, at least he has a sense of humor, folks. In uh, 2011, it was reported that Kaczynski was a person of interest in the Chicago Tylenol murders. Kaczynski was willing to provide a DNA sample to the FBI, but later withheld it as a bargaining chip for his legal efforts against the FBI's private auction of his confiscated property. The United States government seized Kaczynski's cabin which they put on display at the museum in Washington, D.C. I've been there, folks. We did some corporate events there. Until late 2019, before it was transferred to a nearby FBI museum. On It's probably sitting in the museum right next to J. Edgar Hoover's uh, lingerie. <laughs> this is the Unabomber's cabin, and over here is the first director of the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover's lingerie, folks. This was his nipple tassels, and over here we have his handcuffs. Not his FBI handcuffs, but his furry pink handcuffs. Yes, this is it, folks. J. Edgar Hoover, wonderful guy, fantastic person. Goes on to say, on December 14, 2021, 79-year-old Kaczynski was transferred from the Supermax prison in Florence, Colorado, to the Federal Medical Center, Butner, North Carolina, for health reasons. Prison staff have not disclosed the precise reason for his transfer. However, in correspondence with a pen pal, Kaczynski indicated he was suffering from terminal cancer. All right, folks, so if you want to write them, you better hurry up. Uh, this is a section here, Legacy. Kaczynski has been portrayed in and inspired multiple artistic works in the realm of popular culture. These include the 1996 television film Unabomber, The True Story, the 2011 play P.O. Box Unabomber, Manhunt Unabomber, the 2017 season of the television series Manhunt, and in 2021, the movie Ted K. The moniker Unabomber has also applied to the Italian Unabomber, a terrorist who conducted attacks similar to Kaczynski's in Italy from 1994 to 2006, except he would send his bombs in a pizza box. No, I'm kidding. 
doesn't say that. Prior to the 1996 United States presidential election, a campaign called Unabomber for President was launched with the goal of electing Kaczynski as president through write-in votes. He was portrayed by Shardell Copley in the 2021 film Ted K. In his book, The Age of Spiritual Machines, 1999, futurist Ray Kurzweil quoted a passage from Kaczynski's manifesto, Industrial Society and Its Future. In turn, Kaczynski was referenced by Bill Joy. Isn't that interesting? Ray Kurzweil, as you know, we covered him in the first few episodes of the Dust and Gold Standard. He is the gentleman who ended up uh, becoming the chief engineer at Google, who injects himself with vitamins to try to stay alive. He wants to put nanobots in his body he really coined the term singularity the merger of man and machine the point in which ai becomes smarter than humans and uh, wants to upload his consciousness to the cloud you know in turn kaczynski was referenced uh, by bill joy co-founder of sun microsystems in the 2000 wired article why the future doesn't need us joy stated kaczynski is clearly a luddite but simply saying this does not dismiss his argument. Um, Ludite, I mean, folks. Professor Jean-Marie Apostolides has raised questions surrounding the ethics of spreading Kaczynski's views. Well, I guess I'm unethical then. Various radical movements and extremists have been influenced by Kaczynski. I guess I'm a radical and an extremist as well, folks. People inspired by Kaczynski's ideas show up in unexpected places. From nihilist anti uh, anarchist and eco-extremist movements to conservative intellectuals. Uh, well, am I an anarchist, an eco-extremist, or a conservative intellectual, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, uh, Anders Bering Brevik, the perpetrator of the 2011 Norway attacks, published a manifesto which copied large portions from Industrial Society in its future with certain terms substituted. For example, replacing leftist with cultural Marxist and multiculturalist. That's interesting, folks. That's interesting. Now, uh, myself personally, and I'll be honest about this, uh, I said industrial society, its future, I think, was this great warning. Uh, and let, let's just take this from the official narrative and let's just pretend that the story we're reading is actually accurate. Kaczynski wrote it. He bomb people he killed people he maimed people now i i have said before i i don't believe that you um end this or win this battle against the technocratic transhumanists in a bloody revolution at this point because the system is just too big you can't organize enough people against it it is an intellectual battle i agree with kaczynski on that point um, I don't agree with, and I won't be mail bombing anyone. I don't think it actually does any good. Although, if I'm going to be honest, it did get the paper published, and look, 28 years later, someone like me is actually talking about it. Um, so I have to be honest about that. I'm, I'm not going to lie. So the paper was published. It did reach people. Although, um, I, I don't think that that is the answer, nor do I think it will solve anything. Uh, I've just never been into the idea of a bloody revolution, even before, you know, the fake January 6th nonsense. 
I've said to people over the years, when I was coming out of more of the conservative patriot style movement, even Trump MAGA, if you did something like that, folks, like rode into the Capitol, literally started hanging people, as folks had talked about, I, I don't understand what good it actually does, because you're going to take back, what, the Capitol building, you're going to take back the government, the entire structure, this is why industrial society is future is important, and all the work we've done here is important, when you understand that we live under this culture of technocracy, just taking out politicians does nothing. You know, Silicon Valley uh, runs the majority of this country at this point through the technological infrastructure. So to try to go after Washington, it, it just doesn't make sense. Fortunately, in that patriot conservative movement, you had a lot of, uh, you know, ex-military and stuff that would talk about this online uh, when these YouTube shows were big, the show I produced before. And um, to me, it was always nonsensical people try to look at things in simple terms and it's not that simple you have to really change the ideology in this country in this world away from technology and that's really what breaks the whole system returning people to nature if you can't do that a bloody revolution isn't going to do anything no one's going to get involved the only bloody revolution that's actually going to happen is if the elites kick off a purge scenario by shutting down the electrical grid by choking the supply lines uh and starving us out and that would be a revolution um against us because we'd be running around killing each other in the streets. It goes on to say, over 20 years after Kaczynski's imprisonment, his views have inspired an online community of primitives, uh, primitivists, primitivists, and neo-ludites. One explanation for the renewal of interest in his views is the television series Manhunt Unabomber, which aired in 2017. Kaczynski is also frequently referred to by eco-fascists online although some militant fascists and neo-nazi groups idolize him kaczynski described fascism in his manifesto as a kook ideology and nazism as evil in april 22nd 1998 episode of law and order entitled disappeared appears to have been inspired by the kaczynski case now what i will say here is these uh, fascist and neo-Nazi groups, for the most part, I think you should have learned this over the last few years, organized by the government, their government puppet organizations. I'll eventually do a whole series on this fake neo-Nazi nonsense, because in a past podcast I was involved with, we spent time battling some of these characters in the YouTube neo-Nazi space, and these guys are all connected up to the feds, really shady stuff. I mean, I could do 20 episodes on this. We did so much research uh, into this stuff back in the day. They have these folks come out and pledge allegiance to someone like Kaczynski to further tarnish industrial society and future and the idea of driving people away from the technocracy into wild nature i mean that's all that paper was about folks and so they'll attach things like this to it in order to tarnish it now you can go down here through wikipedia as i'm slowly doing and marie albanese co-host of the thomas Paine podcast you guys love uses wikipedia for this purpose as well this links up so many different books, so many different articles. I mean, I could spend an entire lifetime 
uh, dedicating myself to researching everything in and around uh, Ted Kaczynski. I mean, really, honestly, you could become this could become your profession, just becoming a Ted Kaczynski expert and trying to put all this together. But I have to create a giant board behind me. It would look like Carrie from Homeland uh, sitting there with uh, photographs and articles and papers and strings and yarn going back and forth. I mean, a crazy, crazy map, ladies and gentlemen, to put all this together. And in the end, I say, well, what are we really going to discover? I think over the next couple episodes, I'm going to show you some really interesting stuff and we'll move on and we'll eventually come back to his uh, paper on the technological prison and see if we could pull out some more information in regards to what's going on today and going on in the future. But I don't want to go too deep into this because there's more important stuff that we have to cover, and we've also got to get into uh, more solution shows here at the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, folks, I'll be right back. I'm going to take a short commercial break. My name is Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash Go. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. To the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold. And this is pain.tv slash gold. You are listening to episode 143, part three, folks. Part three. We're going to jump right into this, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Atlantic.com. This is an article that was published in June 2000. I found this to be a very fascinating article, so I want to share it with you. It's titled, Harvard and the Making of the Unabomber, a series of purposely brutalizing psychological experiments may have confirmed Theodore Kaczynski's still-forming belief in the evil of science while he was in college. And this is by Alston Chase. And the reason why we're going to cover this is because we're going to go down the path here, folks, of exploring um henry murray and we'll learn a little bit about him here he was the professor at harvard who tampered with kaczynski's head and this guy was instrumental in the beginnings of the cia goes on to say like many harvard alumni i sometimes wonder the neighborhood when i return to cambridge I'm sorry, I sometimes wander the neighborhood when I return to Cambridge, reminiscing about the old days and musing on how different my life has been from what I hoped and expected then. On a trip there last fall, I found myself a few blocks north of Harvard Yard, Harvard Yard on Divinity Avenue. Near the end of this dead-end street sits the Peabody Museum, a giant Victorian structure attached to the Botanical Museum, where my mother had taken me as a young boy in 1943 to view the spectacular exhibit of glass flowers. These left such a vivid impression that a decade later my recollection of them inspired me, then a senior in high school, to apply to Harvard. 
this time my return was prompted not by nostalgia but by curiosity number seven divinity avenue is a modern multi-story academic building today housing the university's department of molecular and cellular biology in 1959 a comfortable old house stood on the site known as the annex it served as a laboratory in which staff members of the department of social relations conducted research on human subjects there from the fall of 1959 through the spring of 1962 harvard psychologists led by henry a murray conducted a disturbing and what would now be seen as ethically indefensible experiment on 22 undergraduates to preserve the anonymity of these student guinea pigs experimenters referred to individuals by code name only one of these students whom they dubbed lawful that was his name was theodore john kaczynski who would one day be known as the unabomber and who would later mail or deliver 16 package bombs to scientists academics and others over 17 years killing three people and injuring 23 all right you got that so far ladies and gentlemen that's the setup of this uh, mini true crime episode here but this is a great piece seriously it's great it's a great starting place i had a special interest in kaczynski says the author for many years he and i had lived parallel lives to some degree both of us attended public high schools and had then gone on to harvard from which i graduated in 1957 kaczynski in 1962 at Harvard, we took many of the same courses from the same professors. We were both graduate students and assistant professors in the 1960s. I studied at Oxford and received a Ph.D. in philosophy from Princeton before joining the faculty at Ohio State and later serving as chairman of the Department of Philosophy at McAllister College in Minnesota. Kaczynski earned a Ph.D. in mathematics at the University of Michigan in 1967 and then joined the berkeley department of mathematics as an instructor in the early 1970s at roughly the same point we separately fled civilization to the montana wilderness in 1971 kaczynski moved to great falls montana that summer he began building a cabin near the town of lincoln 80 miles southwest of great falls on a lot he and his brother david had bought in 1972, my wife and I bought an old homestead 55 miles south of Great Falls. Three years later, we gave up our teaching jobs to live in Montana full-time. Our place had neither telephone nor electricity. It was 10 miles from the nearest neighborhood. In winter, we were snowbound for months at a time. It sounds like heaven, ladies and gentlemen, does it not? That is, uh, that is where I would want to be. It goes on to say, in our desire to leave civilization, Kaczynski and I were not alone. Many others sought a similar escape. What I wondered had driven Kaczynski into the wilderness and to murder. To what degree were his motives simply a more extreme form of the alienation that prompted so many of us to seek solace in the backwoods? It's, it's interesting, folks, because... Uh, you know, if you want to escape, as I've said, to exit the system, 
Um, is it is it not good enough just for yourself to exit the system and then to leave everyone else alone to live in the system if that's what they choose? I mean, to me, that's free will. You're exercising free will. They're exercising free will. Uh, those that want to remain slaves, you know, you should allow them to remain slaves. Now, you could try to encourage folks to exit the system, try to explain to them the things you've learned here and on other podcasts and books you've read, articles you've read, uh, papers you've analyzed. But at the end of the day, if they want to do that, that's their choice. And they are exercising free will, as are you. Uh, the difference is that if the system tries to come and pull you back into the system and you're forced to defend yourself, that's a different situation. Um, it's going to be hard enough work for you to exit the system and build a life off the grid or partially on the grid. I think that will keep you uh, busy enough. It goes on to say most of us may believe we already know Ted Kaczynski. According to the conventional wisdom, Kaczynski, a brilliant former professor of mathematics turned Montana hermit and mail bomber, is simply mentally ill. He is a paranoid schizophrenic and there is nothing more about him to interest us. But the conventional wisdom is mistaken. I came to discover that Kaczynski is neither the extreme loner he has been made out to be, nor in any clinical sense mentally ill. He is an intellectual and a convicted murderer, and to understand the connections between these two facts, we must revisit his time at Harvard University. All right, remember, this guy is a PhD in uh, psychology, right? Or was it philosophy? Was it philosophy or psychology? Oh, philosophy. Okay. Uh, let's continue here. I first heard of the Murray experiment from Kaczynski himself. He had begun corresponding in July of 1998, a couple of months after a federal court in Sacramento sentenced him to life without possibility of parole. Kaczynski, I quickly discovered, was an indefatigable correspondent. Sometimes his letters to me came so fast that it was difficult to answer one before the next arrived. The letters were written with great humor, intelligence, and care. And I found he was, in his own way, a charming correspondent. He was apparently uh, he has apparently carried on a similarly vol, uh, voluminous correspondence with many others, often developing close friendships with them through the mail. Kaczynski told me that the Henry A. Murray Research Center of the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study, although it released some raw data about him to his attorneys, had refused to share information about the Murray team's analysis of that data. Kaczynski hinted darkly that the Murray Center seemed to feel it had something to hide. One of his defense investigators, he said, reported that the center had told participating psychologist not to talk with his defense team after this intriguing start kaczynski told me little more about the murray experiment than what i could find in the published literature henry murray's widow nina was friendly and cooperative but could provide few answers to my questions Several of the research assistants I interviewed couldn't or wouldn't talk much about the study, nor could the Murray Center be entirely forthcoming. After considering my application, its research committee approved my request to view the records of this experiment, the so-called data set, 
which referred to subjects by code names only. But because Kaczynski's alias was by then known to some journalists, I was not permitted to view his records. You see this, folks? So this is the uh, government through Harvard here uh, sealing the records related to the experiments they were running on Ted Kaczynski. It goes on to say, through research at the Murray Center and at Harvard Archives, I found that, among its other purposes, Henry Murray's experiment was intended to measure how people react under stress. Murray subjected his unwitting students, including Kaczynski, to intensive interrogation. What Murray himself called, quote, vehement, sweeping, and personally abusive, end quote, attacks, assaulting his subjects' egos and most cherished ideals and beliefs. Remember, put this in context. Ted Kaczynski is a child at this time, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old. And this guy, Henry Murray, who I will further investigate and analyze for you over the next couple of episodes, uh, developed these techniques years earlier for the OSS, the precursor to the CIA and how to break down folks, teach them to lie, teach them to make up stories, mess with their heads and figure out who would make a great and wonderful spy for the United States. Doing this in partnership with the intelligence apparatus out of the United Kingdom, ladies and gentlemen. We'll get to that and much, much more when I get back from this short commercial break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold slash gold. All right, folks, and just up on the screen, for those of you over at pain.tv slash gold, I'll just show you this quickly. See this 565 pages? This is a document called Assessment of Men. And this was actually headed up, this experiment, by Henry Murray. Uh, And this was uh, for OSS. Selection of personnel for the Office of Strategic Services. They're the precursor to the CIA. Headed up by uh, Wild Bill Donovan was his name. And Henry Murray was a lieutenant colonel. Uh, And they developed, uh, in the course of running experiments on roughly 5,500 folks, uh, how to basically mind bend and mind break and end up figuring out who would make a great uh, intelligence officers. And this this manual here ended up inspiring uh, the corporate world, developed um, many of their techniques for finding out who would be the best robotic managers. At company, so we're going to get into that. I think it's really important because a lot of that has to do with uh, mind control stuff, um, and then we're going to connect this all into MK Ultra, and I'm going to show you some of the programs that were going on, funneling secret money from the CIA into universities, including Harvard, uh, around the same time that this was going on, and at the same time, we know that Sidney Gottlieb, the head of MK Ultra for the CIA was actually setting up bogus 
organizations and foundations to funnel money into institutions, prisons, and universities. Uh, this is what our wonderful government does, folks. That's what they do. Then they spend $50 million chasing down a man whose brain they tampered with, who wrote a paper warning of exactly what they did to him. And then uh, they create these monsters. I mean, if you want to believe that line, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what I agree with yet. I have to do some more investigation. But if you want to take it at face value, they create these monsters and then they spend $50 million to chase down the monster. And villainize him and then put a podcast up at the FBI like a true crime, uh, true crime podcast talking about how they caught this guy. Uh, how about you created him? Goes on to say, my quest was specific to determine what effects, if any, the experiment may have had on Kaczynski. This was a subset of a larger question. What effects had Harvard had on Kaczynski? In 1998, as he faced trial for murder, Kaczynski was examined by Sally Johnson, a forensic psyche, uh, psychiatrist with the U.S. Bureau of Prisons at the order of a court. In her evaluation, Johnson wrote that Kaczynski, quote, had intertwined his two belief systems that society is bad and he should rebel against it and his intense anger at his family for his perceived injustices end quote the unabomber was created when these two belief systems converged and it was at harvard johnson suggested that they first surfaced and met she wrote during his college years, he had fantasies of living a primitive life and fantasized himself as, quote, an agitator, rousing mobs to frenzies of revolutionary violence, end quote. He claims that during that time, he started to think about breaking away from normal society. It goes on to say, it was at Harvard that Kaczynski first encountered the ideas about the evils of society that would provide a justification for and focus to an anger he had felt since junior high school. It was at Harvard that he began to develop these ideas into his anti-technology ideology of revolution. It was at Harvard that Kaczynski began to have fantasies of revenge, began to dream of escaping into wilderness. And it was at Harvard, as far as can be determined, that he fixed on dualistic ideas of good and evil and on mathematical cognitive style that led him to think he could find absolute truth through the application of his own reason. Was the Unabomber, quote, the most intellectual serial killer the nation has ever produced, end quote, as one criminologist has called him, born at Harvard? And it's the question that the author of this article is asking. The next section here, folks, the manifesto. The story of Kaczynski's crimes began more than 22 years ago, but the ch again, this is written in 2000, but the chain of consequences they triggered has yet to run its course. Dubbed the Unabomber by the FBI because his early victims were associated with universities or airlines, UN and A, Kaczynski conducted an increasingly lethal campaign of terrorism that began on May 26, 1978, when his first bomb slightly injured a Northwestern University public safety officer terry marker and ended on april 4th 1995 when a bomb he had mailed killed the president of the california forestry association gilbert murray 
Yet until 1993, Kaczynski remained mute, and his intentions were entirely unknown. By 1995, his explosives have taken a leap in sophistication. That year, he suddenly became uh, loquacious, writing letters to newspapers, magazines, targets, and a victim. Two years later, the Washington Post, in conjunction with the New York Times, published copies of the 35,000-word essay that Kaczynski titled Industrial Society and Its Future, and which the press called the manifesto. Now, I just mentioned there Gilbert Murray. I think on the last show I, I said a logger. He wasn't a logger. He was a head of the California Forestry Association. And what I've read is that it actually blew up Murray uh, by accident, uh, which we're going to research a little bit. I, I just happened to catch Henry Murray being the guy who tampered with Kaczynski's brain. And then one of the victims here, Gilbert Murray. Is there any relation there? Uh, I haven't gone down that path yet, but I'm going to uh, further investigate it. I mean, I've, I've gone down the path, but I haven't gone deep down the rabbit hole yet. Let's continue. Recognizing this manifesto as Kaczynski's writing, his brother David turned Kaczynski into the FBI, which arrested him at his Montana cabin on April 3rd, 1996. Later that year, Kaczynski was removed to California to stand trial for, among other crimes, two Unabomber murders committed in that state. On January 8, 1998, having failed to dissuade his attorneys from their attention of presenting an insanity defense, and having failed to persuade the presiding judge, Garland E. Burrell Jr., to allow him to choose a new attorney, Kaczynski asked the court for permission to represent himself. In response, Burrell ordered Sally Johnson to examine Kaczynski to determine if he was competent to direct his own defense. Johnson offered a provisional diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia, but she concluded that Kaczynski was nevertheless competent to represent himself. Burrell refused to allow it. Faced with the prospect of a humiliating trial in which his attorneys would portray him as insane and his philosophy as the ravings of a madman, Kaczynski capitulated. In exchange for the government's agreement not to seek the death penalty, he pleaded guilty to 13 federal bombing offenses that killed three men and seriously injured two others, and acknowledged responsibility for 16 bombings from 1978 to 1995. On May 4, 1998, he was sentenced to life in prison without possibility of parole. Now, a lot of the research I've done... Uh, at least official narrative, this is what it adds up to, is that he did not want to use the insanity uh, defense because he didn't want it to hurt the work that he had published or got published in industrial society in its future. So he didn't want to be looked at as crazy. So he did try to get rid of the government attorneys you know the public defenders moved to another attorney they blocked that then he wanted to represent himself they blocked that so he went to the point in which he ended up pleading guilty to avoid looking crazy it goes on to say driving these events from first bomb to plea bargain was kaczynski's strong desire to have his ideas as described in the manifesto taken seriously 
quote, the Industrial Revolution and its consequences, end quote, Kaczynski's manifesto begins, quote, have been a disaster for the human race, end quote. They have led, it contends, to the growth of a technological system dependent on social, economic, and political order that suppresses individual freedom and destroys nature quote the system does not and cannot exist to satisfy human needs instead it is human behavior that has to be modified to fit the needs of the system end quote as you know we we reviewed all this in detail over several episodes by forcing people to conform to machines rather than vice versa the manifesto states technology creates a sick society hostile to human potential Because technology demands constant change, it destroys local, human-scale communities. Because it requires a high degree of social and economic organization, it encourages the growth of crowded and unlivable cities and of megastates indifferent to the needs of citizens. So what you can look at, industrial society in its future, is a counter to the initial technocracy-incorporated documents uh, that we found from you know the 1920s 1930s Uh, if i ever sat down and interviewed ted kaczynski i would actually bring all that material with me and ask him if he's read that before goes on to say this evolution toward a civilization increasingly dominated by technology and the power structure serving technology the manifesto argues cannot be reversed on its own because quote technology is more powerful social force than the aspiration for freedom end quote and because quote while technological progress as a whole continually narrows our sphere of freedom each new technical advance considered by itself appears to be desirable, end quote. Hence, science and technology constitute, quote, a mass power movement, and many scientists gratify their need for power through identification with this mass movement, end quote. Therefore, quote, the technophiles are taking us all on an utterly reckless ride into the unknown, end quote. And technophiles would be technocrats, folks technocrats although kaczynski does not use technocrats technocracy or technocratic in his uh paper industrial society its future as i pointed out which was strange why washington post went and put that in to their piece um basically trying to make it look like kaczynski had actually used that terminology i I just want to know if kaczynski was actually aware of the origins of technocracy and the technocracy inc papers he did not have uh access to um, the internet back in 95 or 94 whenever he was writing this he supposedly wrote it on a typewriter now he was going back and forth supposedly to a library uh had a lot of books uh, but don't know if he had access to the internet at the time. That would be something I would investigate because I don't know if you could find the Technocracy Incorporated documents in a library back then, or uh, you would have had, access, had, had to have access to the internet. I don't even know at that time if that stuff was available on the internet because 95 was the very beginning of sort of the public side of the internet, and very few people actually published anything uh, to the internet back then. 
It goes on to say, because human beings must conform, uh, conform to the machine, quote, our society tends to regard as a sickness any mode of thought or behavior that is inconvenient for the system. And this is plausible because when an individual doesn't fit into the system, it causes pain to the individual as well as problems for the system. Thus, the manipulation of an individual to adjust him to the system is seen as a cure for a sickness and therefore as good. And we covered that when we went through industrial society and its future. Folks, we're going to work our way through the rest of this article. Uh, really, honestly, this thing is very important. Uh, because this guy does some great work and it allows us to cut some corners and then we can move on to Henry Murray. I really want to get into this stuff for you and show you the government, if you want to believe the official narrative, uh, the government created the very guy that they're chasing around. And I really want to try to understand the mind of this man who wrote this paper, folks. It is the rebuttal to technocracy Incorporated. I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You are listening to episode 143, part four, ladies and gentlemen, part four. And we are in the process of working our way through the Atlantic.com article from 2000 goes on to say this requirement the manifesto continues has given rise to a social infrastructure dedicated to modifying behavior this infrastructure includes an array of government agencies with ever expanding police powers an out of control regulatory system that encourages the limitless multiplication of laws an education establishment that stresses conformism ubiquitous television networks whose fare is essentially an electronic form of value and a medical and psychological establishment that promotes the indiscriminate use of mind-altering drugs since the system threatens humanity's survival and cannot be reformed kaczynski argued it must be destroyed indeed the system will probably collapse on its own when the weight of human suffering it creates becomes unbearable i i think Honestly, we will reach that point, folks. I don't know how far they can take the technocracy before the system collapses, which which may be, honestly, why they would try to depopulate. But if they rush that and people start dropping, who knows? The folks may revolt against the system. It goes on to say, but the longer it persists, the more devastating will be the ultimate collapse. Hence, quote, revolutionaries, end quote, like the Unabomber, quote, by hastening the onset of the breakdown, will be reducing the extent of the disaster, end quote. Quote, we have no illusions about the feasibility of creating a new ideal form of society, end quote, Kaczynski wrote, quote, our goal is is only to destroy the existing form of society, end quote. But this movement does have a further goal. 
It is to protect, quote, wild nature, end quote, which is the opposite of technology. Admittedly, quote, eliminating industrial society, end quote, may have some, quote, negative consequences, end quote, but, quote, well, you can't eat your cake and have it too, end quote. I think the author actually does a, a fair job of summarizing uh, the paper. It goes on to say the Unabomber's Manifesto was greeted in 1995 by many thoughtful people as a work of genius, or at least uh, profundity, and as uh, quite sane. In the New York Times, the environmental writer Kirkpatrick Sale wrote that the Unabomber, quote, is a rational man, and his principal beliefs are, if hardly mainstream, entirely reasonable, end quote. In The Nation, Sale declared that the manifesto's first sentence, quote, is absolutely crucial for the American public to understand and ought to be on the forefront of the nation's political agenda, end quote. The science writer Robert Wright observed in Time magazine, quote, there's a little bit of the Unabomber in most of us, end quote. An essay in The New Yorker by Cynthia Ozick described the Unabomber as America's, quote, own Raskolnikov, uh, the appealing, appalling, and disturbingly visionary murderer of crime and punishment, uh, Dostoevsky's masterwork of 1866, end quote. Ozick called the Unabomber a, quote, philosophical criminal of exceptional intelligence and humanitarian purpose who is driven to commit murder out of an uncompromising idealism, end quote. Sites devoted to the Unabomber multiplied on the Internet. The Church of Euthanasia Freedom Club unpacked the Unabomber Political Action Committee, Alt-Fan Unabomber, uh, Chuck's Unibomb page, Redacted.com, Metroactive, and Steve Howe's Rest Stop. The University of Colorado hosted a panel titled The Unabomber Had a Point. <laughs> By 1997, however, when Kaczynski's trial opened, the view had shifted. See, this, this is the point, folks. This is the point. You're now taking something that was seen as very sane, uh, driving people towards nature, and now attaching it to... Uh, the murderous, crazed madman. So by 1997, however, when Kaczynski's trial opened, the view had shifted. Although psychiatrists for the prosecution continued to cite the manifesto as proof of Kaczynski's sanity, experts for the defense, and many in the media now viewed it as a symptom and a product of severe mental illness. See, this is how they shifted people away. This is typical uh, gaslighting and psychological warfare. It's like with, uh, I, I don't want to give any uh, cases today. I don't want to talk about Donald Trump. But you bring everyone up, right? And you're actually seeing this going on with COVID land, the high school theater production right now and the vaccines. But you bring everyone up. And then you basically tell them they're crazy. Like, here's this manifesto. You all love it. It's fantastic. All these writers are saying it's great. It's so fantastic. Oh, you're crazy if you believe in it because the messenger is crazy. Look at all these horrible things that he did. And that's how you destroy the revolution against the system. It goes on to say the document they argued revealed a paranoid mind. During the trial, the press frequently quoted legal experts who attested to Kaczynski's insanity. Gerald Lefcourt 
Then the president of National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers said the defendant was, quote, obviously disturbed, end quote. Donald Heller, a former federal prosecutor, said, quote, this guy is not playing with a full deck, end quote. The writer Maggie Scarf suggested in the New Republic that Kaczynski suffered from, quote, narcissistic personality disorder, end quote. Michael Mello, a professor at Vermont Law School, is the author of The United States of America versus Theodore John Kaczynski. He and William Finnegan, a writer for The New Yorker, have suggested that Kaczynski's brother David, his mother Wanda, and their lawyer, Tony Basigli, along with Kaczynski's defense attorneys, persuaded many in the media to portray Kaczynski as a paranoid schizophrenic. To a degree, this is true. Anxious to save Kaczynski from execution, David and Wanda gave a succession of interviews from 1996 onward to the Washington Post, the New York Times, and 60 Minutes, among other outlets, in which they sought to portray Kaczynski as a mentally disturbed and pathologically antisocial since childhood meanwhile against his wishes and without his knowledge kaczynski insists his attorneys launched a mental health defense for their clients see guys this is how they orchestrate the teardown not of kaczynski but the teardown of the actual work itself so that's why i'm saying with one of my scenarios was kaczynski a patsy for this i don't know did someone else write it and then they attach it to this crazy guy was he some sort of a mind-controlled messenger is this about revelation of methods where the elites publish the methods and then they basically tarnish the exposing of the methods by attaching it to a crazed murderous madman and then basically people turn away from the ideas of separating from nature. I find it to be interesting. I'm going to do further research on this, as I mentioned earlier in the show, that there were a number of books coming out around the same time that were starting to expose the overall technocratic system. And then this happens, and you have like the paper that, that talks about it all. It warns about all of it. It's the Bible of nature versus technology. And then you attach it to this guy and you run this madman campaign all over the controlled media to say that he's crazy. And then it turns everyone away from the paper. Plus, again, it's psychological warfare because you have a one to two year period where folks read it and they go, this is amazing. We need to talk about this. We need to tear down the technocracy. And then you turn around and clobber them over the head and you go, listen, you were reading the writings of a crazed madman how dare you and then people just drop the idea altogether because if you went out and tried to explain it to someone your neighbor your friend your family member they would just say to you what are you some kind of a ted kaczynski unabomber fan it's sort of like taking real issues and then attaching them to alex jones so over the last several years you would try to tell people about chemtrails or cloud seeding and people would say to you oh what are you some kind of an alex jones uh listener yeah we are an alex jones listener ladies and gentlemen uh, i need you to get some bone broth get some super male vitality right here at mystoryinfowars.com slash boner pills slash boner pills uh but no i can see this uh this kind of shaping up here now trying to understand what actually happened during that time period goes on to say one psychology expert for the defense karen bronk froming concluded that kaczynski exhibited a quote 
predisposition to schizophrenia, end quote. Another, David Vernon Foster, saw, quote, a clear and consistent picture of schizophrenia paranoid type, end quote. Still another, Xavier F. Amador described Kaczynski as, quote, typical of the hundreds of patients with schizophrenia, end quote. How did the experts reach their conclusions? Although objective tests alone suggested defroming, only that Kaczynski's answers were, quote, consistent with, end quote, schizophrenia. She told Finnegan it was Kaczynski's writings in particular, his, quote, anti-technology, end quote, views that cemented this conclusion for her. Oh, so if you're against technology and for nature, you're a schizophrenic. Foster, let's continue. Foster, who met with Kaczynski a few times but never formally examined him, cited his, quote, delusional themes, end quote, as evidence of sickness. Amador, who never met Kaczynski at all, based his judgment on the, quote, delusional beliefs, end quote, he detected in Kaczynski's writing. And Sally Johnson's provisional diagnosis that Kaczynski suffered from, quote, paranoid type, end quote, schizophrenia, was largely based on her conviction that he harbored, quote, delusional beliefs, end quote, about the threats posed by technology. The experts also found evidence of Kaczynski's insanity in his refusal to accept their diagnoses or to help them reach those diagnoses yeah okay look at all that folks right there half of these people didn't even interview him and they're diagnosing him which frankly i believe that is unethical if you're uh, in the psychology field there uh number one number two they are saying he's crazy schizophrenic and paranoid because of his feelings towards the technological system Uh, i'd love to interview these people they're probably all dead now 28 years later and go hey look at klaus schwab and yuval noah harari look at elon musk look at peter thiel look what our government's doing look at facial recognition look at genetic modification look at CRISPR. look at synthetic wombs look at all this stuff that we're doing look at brain chips look at mind uploading look at life extension look at immortality look at everything that's going on smart cities internet of things internet of bodies 15 minute cities look at all this stuff oh was he a paranoid person or was he just telling folks what was coming in the future if we didn't wise up and rise up against the technological slave system how would they answer that folks think about that over the break i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and you are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. You know who else? The government and the media labeled as a paranoid schizophrenic was uh, Michael Hastings. And if you guys remember, Michael Hastings was the reporter who ended up driving his car into a tree and dying very interesting very interesting case you know we'll do we'll do a show on that on michael hastings because i'd like to bring in uh 
some information on that. But yeah, they, they ran a smear campaign against him. At the time that he was supposedly investigating John Brennan, who was the head of the CIA, this is shortly after he wrote a piece that appeared in Rolling Stone that ended up taking down Stanley McChrystal. Stanley McChrystal, high-ranking military gentleman who uh, was in partnership with General Michael Flynn. And so uh, Michael Hastings ended up uh, thinking the government was chasing him. They were trying to take him out and then supposedly ends up driving at a high speed into a tree and dying and then they ran this smear campaign that he was paranoid well if you were trying to take down the head of the cia do you not have a right to be uh, paranoid god only knows what information he was getting at the same time he was texting back and forth with joe biggs questionable on whether or not that guy was actually a, a double agent ratting out uh, michael hastings and so um he ends up dying, and then shortly after he dies, they send out a government goon, Richard Clark, onto television. And he tells the public, oh, yes, oh, yes, we have the ability here at the government to hack into your car and take control of the wheel and uh, drive it into a tree and kill you. It was almost warning other journalists that we're going to try to step out of line. So those are the other type of people that our government labels paranoid schizophrenics. Of course, all of the uh, so-called conspiracy theorists and tinfoil hat wearers are labeled as kooky, crazy, conspiracy theorists, uh, paranoid schizophrenics, you know, conspiracy theory a term that really came out of the jfk assassination anyone that wanted to question the jfk assassination in the official narrative was a conspiracy theorist and then of course obviously in covid land the high school theater production some of the greatest memes coming out of this now are conspiracy theorists <laughs> uh end up being right uh, a couple of years later just hold on hold your thoughts folks so uh those are the kind of people our government targets it goes on to say most claims of mental illness rested on the diagnosis of experts whose judgments therefore derive largely from their opinions of Kaczynski's philosophy and his personal habits. He was a recluse, a wild man in appearance, a slob of a housekeeper, a celibate, and from his refusal to admit he was ill. Thus, Froming, uh, thus Froming cited Kaczynski's, quote, unawareness of his disease, end quote, as an indication of illness. Foster complained to the defendant's, quote, symptom-based failure to cooperate fully with psychiatric evaluation, end quote. Amador said that the defendant suffered, quote, from severe deficits in awareness of his illness, end quote. So if you don't believe you have a wellness, uh, an illness and you won't cooperate with psychiatrists, then you have the illness because you won't cooperate with them. You won't cooperate. So if they send in a psychiatrist to talk to me and I say, go screw yourself, I'm not talking to you, then I have an illness, right? It's like if you refuse to engage with a police officer without a lawyer present, then all of a sudden you're just automatically guilty because you won't talk to law enforcement. I mean, this is what it says here. But Kaczynski was no more unkempt than many other people on our streets. His cabin was no messier than the offices of many college professors and lawyers, folks. You ever been in a 
personal injury lawyer's office with files stacked up all around him all over the desk. I grew up in those offices, my father being a private investigator. It's disgusting what some of these law offices look like. It goes on to say the Montana wilds are filled with escapists like Kaczynski and me, says the author. Celibacy and misanthropy are not diseases, nor was Kaczynski really so much of a recluse. Any reporter could quickly discover, as I did through interviews with scores of people who have known Kaczynski, classmates, teachers, neighbors, that he was not the extreme loner he was made out to be. And surely a refusal to admit to being insane or to cooperate with people who are paid to pronounce one insane cannot be taken seriously as proof of insanity why were the media and the public so ready to dismiss kaczynski as crazy kaczynski kept voluminous journals and in one entry apparently before from before the bombing uh, started he anticipated this question quote i intend to start killing people if i am successful at this it is possible that when i am caught not alive I fervently hope there will be some speculation in the news media as to my motives for killing. If some speculation occurs, they are bound to make me out to be a sickie and to ascribe to me motives of a sordid or sick type. Of course, the term sick in such a context represents a value judgment. The news media may have something to say about me when I am killed or caught, and they are bound to try to analyze my psychology and depict me as sick. This powerful bias should be borne in mind in reading any attempts to analyze my psychology. End quote. Michael Mello suggests that the public wish to see Kaczynski as insane because his ideas are too extreme for us to contemplate without discomfort. And let's just point that out, folks. Trust me. Over the years, I've been called insane, including by my (laughs) ex-wife. She thought I was paranoid. Not until uh, COVID land, the high school theater production kicked off. Even though I was producing political content before, COVID land kicks off. I express my opinions. I say they're going to mandate people to get the vax. This is going to get really bad. Um, I didn't think I was acting crazy, folks. I was saying, you know, she had had two kids that were my stepkids that I was raising, and I... uh, Started off COVID Land, the high school theater production, showing them the movie Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe, the boxer that had uh, lived through the Great Depression and how he taught his family to stick together and they would come out the other side. You know, that was my family movie for the beginning of COVID Land. And I explained to the kids, it's going to get very tough and we have to stick together as a family. The economy may crash. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we lived through. So was I crazy? No, I was not crazy. So what happens sometimes is you present these ideas, as you know, to folks. A lot of you write me and tell me this. They think you're crazy. Well, it's because they are comfortable living within the system. And they either do not recognize the dangers of the system, the long-term dangers on their health, the long-term dangers on their threats against their prosperity, and you're trying to pierce their worldview, their their normalcy bias, all right? And when you try to do that, most people are not going to be very comfortable. And so they're going to call you crazy. They're going to call you a conspiracy theorist. They're going to call you a tinfoil hat wearer, all these bumper sticker slogans they've been taught to call you. 
That's why you have to be very careful about how you talk about this stuff and who you talk to uh, about it, you know, and how you frame it. It's not crazy, folks. I mean, we're only exploring the stuff coming out of the powerful folks that run the world. There's nothing wrong with that. If Yuval Noah Harari says, you have no spirit, you have no soul, you have no free will, those days are over. You are a useless human. We will give you video games. We will give you drugs. You are a hackable animal. Who's the crazy one? You or him? You're only trying to express to people that this man wields power and influence in the world of the elites who are actually the prison planet wardens of the technocratic slave system that we find ourselves living in so who's crazier elon musk you know once the richest guy in the world he's obviously falling from that seat right now talking about for hours at a time on joe rogan experience about drilling a hole in the back of your head cutting open the lining that covers your brain and sticking a brain chip down inside it and up, uh, uploading your consciousness to the cloud. Who's crazy, him or us? If you point out that that's terrible for humanity and will lead to the engineering of humanity out of existence, you're the paranoid schizophrenic? No, you're the sane one. Everyone else is actually crazy. Seriously. Seriously, folks. You should not feel guilty about this. He goes on to say, he challenges our most cherished beliefs, Mello writes. Quote, the manifesto challenges the basic assumptions of virtually every interest group that was involved with the case. The lawyers, the mental health experts, the press and politics, both left and right. Kaczynski's defense team convinced the media and the public that Kaczynski was crazy, even in the absence of credible evidence, because we needed to believe it. They decided that the Unabomber was mentally ill and his ideas were mad. Then they forgot about the man and his ideas and created a curative tale, end quote. Now, we're going to work our way through the rest of this article. You know what? Let me finish up this paragraph because it'll finish up this section here. goes on to say, Mello is only half right. It is true that many believe Kaczynski was insane because they needed to believe it. But the truly disturbing aspect of Kaczynski and his ideas is not that they are so foreign, but they are so familiar. The manifesto is the work of neither a genius nor a maniac, except for its call to violence. The ideas it expresses are perfectly ordinary and unoriginal shared by many Americans. It's permission, uh, or, or it's uh, pessimism, over the direction of civilization and its rejection of the modern world are shared especially with the country's most highly educated. The manifesto is, in other words, an academic and popular cliche. And if concepts that many of us un reflectively accept can lead a person to commit serial murder what does that say about us we need to see kaczynski as exceptional madman or genius because the alternative is so much more frightening because it makes people look in the mirror and it's not just the highly educated as the author mentions it was the feelings of a lot of folks in rural areas just look at it today all right you have highly educated folks who go out and talk about pollution environmentalism let's say they're not part of the grift let's say they're serious about ending pollution they're attacking big corporations government policies and they're serious about it and then you have folks in rural areas farmers 
that also talk about this stuff, right? People that want to escape to the wilderness. So you don't have to be highly educated to agree with what Kaczynski writes. What he did is he created a thesis based on all this work that was out there, summarized it into 35,000 words, which I find to be ingenious at that time. He was able to express it. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't want to get myself into trouble. I don't want you guys to think I'm crazy. I'm not trying to disparage anyone. But this is what I'm. This is actually a point that needs to be made. And I, I'm not justifying the uh, murder and the maiming of the folks that Kaczynski went after with the bombings. But he writes down, as we saw that he was going to start killing people. He also looks at the scientists and the engineers, the folks I've talked about as we've reviewed technocracy and transhumanism over 143 episodes, as the enemy. He looks at them as the soldiers building the technocratic system. Now, if Kaczynski believed what I believe is that there's an intentional war on humanity and nature as a whole... And this eventually ends with the engineering of humanity out of existence, whether that is through depopulation, through uh, war that we start for that purpose, whether that's through vaccines, whether that's just through replacing humans with robots and artificial intelligence. If Kaczynski sees this as a war on humanity and he is going to lead the revolution, which is a war against the scientists, the engineers, the technocrats, the transhumanists, the bankers, whatever it may be, that are leading the war if he makes a conscious decision to start killing people as it looks like he did in his writings does that make him any crazier than the politicians than the uh brass in the military than the folks that sign up for the military to go out and kill people in a war to stop an ideology, to spread their ideology, or to do what they're really doing, which is controlling natural resources and pipelines and such, does that make Kaczynski any crazier than they are? Because he looks at what he's fighting as a war against the destruction, the genocide of humanity and nature. So he starts to pick out targets, people that he sees as the enemy, that is coming after him, coming after humanity. What is the difference between folks that make decisions to go after an enemy? Let's just take all the wars in this country's history at face value, and let's say we were really going into Vietnam to kill people to stop communism, or we're really going into World War II to kill people to stop fascism, or we're going into Cuba or any other place, and we're trying to stop an ideology and spread democracy and freedom and liberty to the people. Was Kaczynski not looking to spread freedom to the people? That is what he believed he was doing. The difference between Kaczynski, I would say, and any of this other stuff, is all the wars that we're fighting are fake. They're made up. And the real issue, I think we've pointed it out here through 143 episodes, is that the real enemy is not capitalism, not communism, not socialism, Not really progressivism, not Marxism, not fascism. The enemy that we've all been wanting to fight but don't realize that this is who the fight needs to be brought against is technocracy itself. It is the entire system. And so if Kaczynski is the one who authored the paper, he pointed at the real enemy. And that's actually what scared 
the system. So does it make him crazy to have gone after the soldiers that he sees in this battlefield? If they are truly working to engineer humanity out of existence, meaning they declared war on humanity, then what he did, is it actually crazy? Or is he doing exactly what any other governmental structure would do? He is forming an army and starting to go after the enemy. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, folks. I'm just posing the question. When we get back tomorrow for episode 144, we're going to have Dana on the show. We're going to talk about the Bible. I'll bring some of this up to him because he's a very well-researched, well-read guy and get his opinion on this. Ladies and gentlemen, leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts if you can. Drop a comment there. We love those. Check out pain.tv slash gold. You could join for less than $9 a month. Think about making a donation at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. You could chip in towards my homestead fund. I'd really appreciate that, ladies and gentlemen. I will keep bringing you this uh, mind-provoking information here. We'll keep analyzing the technocracy, try to help you figure out your escape from the matrix. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you tomorrow. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. The matrix is a computer-generated dream world. Built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. <laughs>